Hey! What's up? It's Kitty. And Pepper. And we're it's, it's Top Secret Podcast. Woo! The totally sober edition. <laughs> JK LOL. No. Uh, we actually did get a specific request to do another intoxicated podcast, so this is for that You're request. Welcome. You're welcome. Um, Actually, it shouldn't be this intoxicated. I didn't eat that much today, though. This is like my second beer. I'm only like halfway through it. Not even halfway through it. It's like a pineapple beer. No, it's delicious. But, um, yeah, I am feeling a little bit like weird and blurry. I'm in the same spot. I'm also like only a few hours single, so that also could be leading to my blurriness. So yeah, she was that. She like her <laughs> eyes were literally blurry on our way to get food today. And she was putting visine in her eyes and then dropped the cap in the middle of the road. That was a very busy Precious university. Moment. Yeah. Yeah. It's cute. It's really um, cute. But we actually do think that it might make sense to do a podcast kind of with like mostly getting to know Kitty and Pepper a little better. Um, and we were kind of talking about like what would we, what would it even be about? So want to tell them kind of what we like are yeah. thinking? And we're like, okay, yeah, let's talk more about our deconversion from Christianity and then our reconversion to whatever it is that we've decided makes life meaningful for us. And I don't even know what that is, so I'm going to find out as we talk, actually. <laughs> cool. I, I, I don't have, like, a label. I haven't even really thought Maybe it out. Maybe we'll find out on this episode. I think so. Um, well, let's start, let's start at the very beginning of our lives. Yeah. And how Christian, like, growing up in a super conservative Christian family yeah. influenced our morals and our yeah. values and which ones we hold on to, and which ones we don't anymore. Sure. I almost have to think about it in two different ways. I, I either have to think about the things that I'm really thankful about, or the things that, like, I've had to heal from. And so, um, I can start with the things that, like, are really, I'm really thankful for. I feel like the... I grew up in a context, I think I mentioned this in our intro episode, but, uh, called The Brethren. Um, so that is kind of a extraordinarily fundamentalist Christian community, um, and I would say theologically super similar to like an evangelical community, but they kind of have a weird, very like focus on gender roles. And I'm not really sure if that was just something that I picked up on more because I have a vagina. So I noticed that and heard that more. Um, cause I would say I have some friends who like, I don't think they really perseverate on that as much where I'm like, no, that was like really messed up and really hurtful. And I've had to heal from a lot of those messages. But um, they also were called the Brethren, which isn't doing anybody any favors of, like... (laughs) It's already exclusive in the name. Super exclusive. Yeah. Um, That's true. That's funny. Anyhow, uh, things that I, I think that values that that instilled in me that I still hold are, like, I really value how much, like, of a community it is. I had a lot of friends who were a lot older than me, um... I like even like my parents age I feel like they their friends would like check in with me on a Sunday morning and be like hey kitty how are you doing like how's school what's new with you and your friends like actually really quite invested in my personal life um sometimes I can see how that could be crossing a boundary but for the most part I actually felt very respected and invested in granted I was drinking the Kool-Aid really really in intensely for most of those years so I feel like I was probably pretty impressive and my responses were like aligning with what everyone was hoping I would say obviously those relationships have shifted as I've gotten older and 
people to stop asking me questions because they know they probably don't really want to know the answers. Um, especially those that follow me on social media probably know, like, oh, yeah, she's got a little more crunchy flavor going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, community. Community, yeah. So that's a positive thing about it. it. And actually, you know what's funny is now as an adult, it's weird because I feel like um, I have this, like, very big interest in, like, communes and, like, living in a commune. And um, it's interesting because huh. I look at that as, like, a really healthy, cool uh, community. And most people are like, no, that's creepy. And for me... I'm in that party. That feels, like, so familiar. And I'm like, those are all the good things that I missed about the Brethren combined with all the good things that I have now. That is so fascinating. And... I'm sure if I actually joined a commune, I maybe would have a different take on it. But, like, right now, I do fantasize sometimes about, like, being a part of a commune. Um, and as you know, I think I'm being kind of invited to one. You are, and I am too, and I, I <laughs> yeah. rejected the you invitation. You rejected it, and I'm, I, I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it, for So, real. let's talk about that, because as you're talking about this community thing, I'm like, wow, I did not have that experience in, in my yeah. upbringing. And I don't, and I don't think it's... Because it wasn't there, I think that the way you and I relate to community is probably different. I am much more uh, of an introvert, much more yeah. individualistic, I would say. Not in, like, an independence way, but, like, I, I really like my space. I just have... You have a much more community mindset than I do. Mm-hmm. And I think growing up, that the community, I always looked at with a lot of cynicism mm-hmm. in the church... I didn't see it as ever being genuine. You know, when people did show an interest in me, I always felt like it was um, veiled in just a spiritual interest. It wasn't really an interest in me as a person or Mm -hmm. on a deeper level. It seemed very conditional. Exactly. It seemed very conditional. So I, I... I think actually, now that we're talking about it, I'm realizing, because, like, that's still a thing for me. I'm still very... um, cynical about communities um so actually i think that what i think though what you brought about like the conditional love i think that that makes a lot of sense because i don't think that i necessarily felt like the love was conditional that being said i have to admit i was probably related to 50 percent of the people i grew up going to church with another clue uh, that the brethren cult. might not have been the most not culty community in the world. I love tiptoe around that. Every I really time, do tiptoe around Every it. time, and I will call it out every time. Yep, please do. Because um, I really don't want to have to say that out loud. But I think that it was, like, so... I do think that people were genuinely interested in me, partially because they were actually, like, I was their blood. Like, I was related to so many people in that community and so I felt like people were very genuine wanting to get to know me wanting to encourage me that being said I learned how conditional I feel that love was as I started to evolve and stopped giving all the right answers and stopped you know volunteering for every possible bible camp opportunity I had um and actually that was a hard pill to swallow be like oh yeah like these people will never love me the way that they used to. And that's because I used to tell them things that made them proud. And now, like, I have nothing to tell them that's going to make them proud. Right, right. Uh, so what would you say of the values that you were raised with? What have you chosen to reject in adulthood? Yeah. What are the values that you're like, that was not healthy? Yeah. 
Uh, the submissive piece, definitely. I feel like in in the church that I was raised in and in, in my personal home, there was such an emphasis, especially on the women, to always to always give, to always give, at the expense of yourself, to give. Mm-hmm. And um, my mom was very anti-self-love, like very explicitly and outright so. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite stories to demonstrate that is my sister and I would watch Arthur after mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. And then the theme song, there's a part that's like, you gotta listen to your heart, listen, listen to, to the beat, listen to the... But anyway, whenever that part would come on, my mom, she could be like down in the basement, <laughs> she could be like upstairs, suddenly she would appear, her head would poke in the room, oh, and she would be like, you do not listen to your your heart, your heart is evil above all things. Woo, Which yeah. is like a verse in the Bible. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And that fucked me up! Because I was like, shit, I can't listen to my, I can't listen to like anything then, like anything uh-huh. inside of me. I have to second guess constantly. Yeah. I can never let any sort of intuition, inclination be me or just or just be like a desire. It, it has to automatically be evil then. Mm-hmm. So that's something that through therapy and through like many years of uh, self-awareness and... And finding out that, shit. like, new decisions aren't all going to lead to pregnancy and death. No, exactly. <laughs> a lot of trial and error. Trying yeah. new things that I just want to do and then finding I mean, out, like, oh. I don't oh. feel bad about that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but it, I think, I mean, it's still inside of me. It's, it's still mm-hmm. a daily thing for me to um, identify, like, this is something you want to do and that's not a bad thing. How about you just do it? Mm-hmm. How about you do it and find out what happens, you know? And now, clearly... There's boundaries to that, you know, but I think with all the values that I have been equipped with, um, that my family has given me, I can trust myself Mm -hmm. because I have, they have taught, like, and that's the thing is that Christianity did equip me with so many good morals, you know, about looking out for people like less than you, Mm -hmm. you know, who have less than you and uh, about self-sacrifice, which can be a really good thing. Um, mm-hmm. and about like loyalty and faithfulness, you know, and, and there's mm-hmm. so many impatience and the love chapter, first Corinthians 13, that <laughs> never meant yeah. anything to me when I was a Christian. And it hasn't been until this year that that's finally meant something to me wow. as I've been like exploring just the, the different, you know, variations of love and the different expressions of it. I I was thinking about it one day and that like chapter popped into my head and I was like, Oh, I see it with completely new eyes now. Um, but yeah, so I think, um, that new concept of love and especially of self love though, is something that I am learning so much more about. And with a lot of our culture, but especially Christian culture, with Jesus being a martyr who yeah. died for everybody, there's say, such an emphasis. Christ did that. Yeah. yeah. There's such an emphasis on you place others before yourself. Always. Yeah. And I and I think that a lot of times, like, that is looked at as a virtue. But mm-hmm. more and more, I'm finding the people who understand their own self-worth and then can yeah. balance that with their love of others to be this other option that is so much harder to do, actually. 
because it's not prescribed. It's not like, oh, you just always choose yourself last. Mm-hmm. Like, that's kind of easy. It's an easy mindset because there's, you always know what to do in every scenario. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times that gets in the way of connecting with people. Yeah. I definitely feel that way that, um, I feel like there's a real guilt and shame kind of concept that was really placed onto me. And to be honest, I really wanted to kind of just like defend my parents a little bit in that I don't think this was conscious for them. I think for my parents, there was so much subconscious about the guilt and shame values that they instilled in our home. I mean, they were both born and raised in that. And so I think for them, they maybe hadn't really been hurt by it or maybe not been conscious of hurt that it happened. Um, But growing up, I definitely feel like uh, it was always trying to make yourself more righteous. Finding, finding like, where is the sin in your life? Where is sin sneaking up on you this week? And it was never just, like, letting yourself feel good about a good thing that you did. It was yeah. always, like, how could you do it better? There was no such thing as, like, self-care or, like... Because self-care was selfish, yeah. honestly. yeah. And now I'm in a field, um, a mental health field, where, like, that is a really predominant value of my entire field is, like, if you don't take care of yourself, you cannot take care of others. And it's true. It, oh, it's so true. Like, you, once, you, <laughs> once you discover that and experience that, you're like, holy shit. Oh, This yeah. is the truth. Like, mm-hmm. there is no other way. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so true. And I think that learning to love myself is the how I have discovered inner peace. And I think that's something that I also, I didn't know I was lacking it until I had it. I've realized in this last two years, I never had inner peace when I was mm. like submitting myself to the, this theology and this belief system, um, of, of more fundamentalist flavor of Christianity. Like there was no inner peace in this because there was no self acceptance. There was no self love and there was no self care. And, um, if there was, it was like, well, why are, why are you putting your, yourself above others? You should always be putting others above yourself. And, um, sometimes I think putting, like, taking care of yourself is taking care of others. I've certainly learned that in my field now. Um, I've certainly gone into work on days where I'm like, yeah, I'm not a super safe space for people. Why? Because I'm hungry. Like, literally, that might be the reason (laughs) I'm hungry. Or because... I uh, am feeling a lot of anxiety. I'm having, like, a phase of anxiety, and I'm not taking care of it, and I'm not letting myself reflect on, like, where's the root of that anxiety? And so I snap on people who I love, including people who I work with, and that's that's not helping anyone either, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's just this shame complex of, like, kind of like what you were saying. Like, it's like, don't trust yourself. You know, you're... We all are born evil. You know, all your good deeds are like dirty rags. I always laugh when I say that because now that I'm not, like, identifying as Christian, it's hilarious to hear that phrase. Like, that's creepy. Yeah. Like, because dirty (laughs) rags are literally talking, like, at least the way I was told. menstrual rags. Yeah. Yeah. Like, menstrual rags. And I'm like, now I find that, like, hilarious. Like, that was taught to me all the time by a whole bunch of white men. Yeah. You know, like, what a silly. what's What's the subtext of that? You know, then, too. Yeah. You know, like, if, like, menstrual rags are being used as the example yeah, of, like, the, yeah. Yeah. Just That's a further. good thing on the pack, too. I never thought about that. Yeah. I think that some 
that would be the main negative thing, though, that I would say came out of that, that I've had to heal from in adulthood, is, like, the shame and guilt complex. Certainly, like, purity culture and modesty culture yeah. um, is, is, it's rape culture. It is 100% rape culture rhetoric, and it's been so eye-opening, kind of triggering. Talk more about that. Well, I actually just read a book uh, that actually a friend of mine, a friend of the podcast, wrote. Yep. Um, it's called Damaged Goods by Diana E. Anderson. Um, definitely order that online. It's uh, New Perspectives on Christian Purity. And the whole book, the beginning of the book, gives like a really awesome history of like what is the purity movement. It actually just started in the 60s. I think that that was really eye-opening for me to be like, oh, this wasn't like a long-standing like Christian principle. This was like created culturally. Yeah. In the 60s. Well, that's a whole other topic um, about how much of the Christianity that we accept is really just... It's culture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's influenced by culture. Yeah. And um, it hasn't been longstanding. Yeah. People really want us to think that. Like, Christian leaders really want you to think that they're, like, speaking the gospel that's been preached for hundreds, thousands of years. It's literally been taught, in some cases, like, 30, 40, like a couple of decades. Yep. Um, you know, since my parents were born you know this is a newer concept and so this book was really healing though for me to read because um the author i believe still identifies as a christian certainly at the time of publishing it looks like it sounds like she's still identifies as christian um but it's really just a uh, insight into like how did the christian purity movement start um what kind of had it keep going and then like how are people benefiting or hurting from that and, um, I think you actually are who told me this, but, like, who is the writer of, um... Joshua that, Harris? Yeah, Joshua Harris. And he had written... What book was that called? A Kiss Dating Goodbye. Yes. He wrote a response to it about how it was negative. Because so many people had, like, come out about, like, how yeah. that had really destroyed their sexuality, even sexuality with their life partner. A lot like, of Christians talk about how even after marriage... Like, so this thing that they've waited for until they mm -hmm. found the one, then they still had shame about it because of, yeah, the, the, the mindset that was being disseminated through his yeah. books and stuff of, about sex. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've talked to a number of, um, peers my age, men and women actually, um, quite a few women talking about this, about kind of that difficulty of like, then even when you're in a context that's safe and healthy and within your ethic, within your sexual ethic, it still can be really hard to practice sexual intimacy because of how much shame is you're putting on yourself your whole life. You know, you've practiced shame. You've intentionally incorporated shame into sexuality so that you could save yourself for marriage. Mm -hmm. That's a strategy. That's a technique to help save yourself. Yeah. And then... So how can you just magically turn it off? Right. Um, well, I think I know a lot of women, too, coming out of that Christian culture who do struggle with orgasm and do struggle with, like, even with their, like, life partners, their married partners, struggle with being able to orgasm. Um, I know more than two or three women who, like, can't orgasm. And I know, not that we have to make this all about sexuality, but I, and I also know other women who, like, um, 
haven't orgasmed yet with their current partner. And that's a hard piece, too, of, like, well, what does that mean about your partnership? And really, I'm like, I don't think it means anything about your partnership. I think it means something about your psychology. Yeah. And for many of us, that was influenced before we had any consent to that. You know, we weren't yeah. consenting to that being part of our psychology, but that has lifelong impacts on our sexual pleasure, our abilities, our self-awareness, our kind of self-concept of ourselves and our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that that's been a hard thing for me to reconcile. Like, I really want to, like, see people as good because I believe that, like, my family and a lot of the people I grew up with in the Brethren community are good people with good intentions. But... I do believe they are misinformed on a lot of uh, social issues, a lot of, like, how to interact with other people right. in a way that's that includes equity and respect and, um, yeah. And I think so much of that has to do with their exposure to people that are different than them. Like, with my yeah. parents, you know, like, they grew up in a small town, and they've never had to, like, interact with someone that's transgender. Yeah. They rarely have to interact with people that are not the same color as them. Um, yeah. But I'm curious, you know, like if they had grown up in a city or if they had grown up around people that were more different than them, how that would have impacted their faith and their practice of it and their understanding of it as well. And yeah. I wish that for them because I do see people that are, um, you know, that are gay, that are transgender, that are minorities, that are still holding on to Christianity. And there's a richness to mm-hmm. their faith, you know, and in the meaning that they found in it. And I I wish that my parents had a faith that was more yeah. um, broad like that, you know, that could include yeah. that. But, totally, you know, they're at where they're at. So, mm-hmm. and I will say since, um, since coming out to them as not being Christian, um, which happened very, very painfully and gradually... Um, yeah, I did not handle it like my brother did. He was, so my brother and I have always been very similar in our mindsets, always been doubters, always been questioners Mm -hmm. within this context. But the funny thing is that he and I were the ones that also tried to follow it the most. And my two sisters were always the rebels in the family and were always, um, bucking the system. And they're the ones that still hold on to it. And we're the ones that have, um, you know decided that Christianity isn't for us. But when he came out, he called up every single person in my family and was like, I'm no longer Christian. This is why you can ask me questions. And I was just more of like, like, fuck you guys. Like, I'm just going to figure it out myself. I'm not going to really talk to you about it until I finally just, and like my mom, like she and I would talk on the phone and she'd be like, if you could just pray for blah, da, da, blah, da, da. And I'd be like, mom, I don't really pray anymore, but I would never come out right and be like, I'm not a Christian. And then I think eventually, I, I don't even remember a moment, you know, where it happened, but I think we just kind of all figured it out. Yeah. And um, and they handled it so well. Mm-hmm. And they have been so loving and kind to me. And it's actually made our relationship better. Because like you were saying earlier, like when you are a Christian and you're stretching those limits, you're more of a threat to them, I think. And they yeah. feel more of an obligation to... Mm-hmm. challenge you on it, you know, because yeah. they're like, no, that's not the right way. Like if yeah. you're going to be within this structure, you have to be like this. And now that I'm complete without the structure, then they're like, we right. can't tell I'm you no what to do. I'm no longer a threat to their theology because right. I'm like not identifying with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 
they don't they don't have to reconcile in their heads how a Christian, their daughter who they love and respect also believes XYZ. Yeah. They're like, oh well she believes XYZ because she's not a Christian and she's this crunchy liberal mental health person. Well right. okay, we can make sense of that. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's interesting because on our first podcast, uh, our, our intro episode, we talked about like sexuality, and it was interesting how much that totally led to us talking about spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we didn't even feel like we could talk about sexuality without first saying that we grew up Christian. And it's interesting how on this episode, our our intention was kind of talk about spirituality, and it still ended in talking about. Sexuality. They're so linked. They're so linked. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the more, like, tangible ways that we all realize, like, how much those mindsets and, like, soaking in those belief systems really have lifelong impacts. Some of those are for the better. We talked about, like, good things that we want to take from Mm -hmm. that, that we still practice, and things that, like, we've had to very intentionally name and heal from in order to experience healthy relationship. Um... And that's what's cool is now being able to, like, look back on Christianity and I've gone through the phase of being super cynical and jaded about it. And now I feel like I'm on the other side where I have respect for it again, but not in a way that um, means that I have to follow every single word of it. But in a way where it's like I can pick and choose what I like and what I don't like about it and redeem the things that are actually good. And that do have this, like, ageless wisdom to them. And I can throw out the shit that is hateful, really, and discriminatory. Mm -hmm. And doesn't have a place anymore in this culture or this time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, how do you define your spirituality now? Right now, I do identify as spiritual. One thing I want to mention is that when I grew up in the Brethren... I do think I always had a real keen interest in the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, the God, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Mm. I really understood the Holy Spirit at a young age. No. And I think it's, honestly, I think it's because um, the Holy Spirit really hints at a lot of, like, self-awareness and a lot of, like, your consciousness. Intuition. And a lot of, yeah. Yeah, that's And, true. like, does something feel good or bad? And I was very aware of, like, this feels bad, this feels weird, and, or, like, you know, I can, I was also very sensitive, like emotionally, my own emotions and very perceptive of other people's emotions. And so I can remember a few times in my life feeling like the Holy Spirit led me to do certain things or say certain things. Um, and now it's been interesting evolving out of Christianity where I still feel extremely spiritual and connected to God. And I think it's because I feel so connected to other humans. Starting with myself, I feel very connected to myself, very understanding of how much my emotion is influenced by my environment and how much my emotions influence my environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. perceiving other people's emotions and how they're interacting with their environments, whether that's other people or like with themselves or with God, says a lot about... I don't know. I just think that that's where I'm seeing spirituality. And I know for years in my the field that I work in, in the mental health field, I totally, I'm so lucky that I get to see human progress constantly. I get to witness human progress. I get to meet people in really 
absurdly difficult tragedies, and I get to observe progress in many cases. Um, I'm well, yeah, I'm feeling good. I have to I feel, pee really badly too. Okay. So well, let's just wrap it up then. Yeah. Um, thanks for tuning in, y'all. Yeah, thanks for tuning in. This has been a uh, slightly less uh, sober episode of well, the first Top one. Secret Girlcast. Also, if you or uh, you know. I was going to say if you are someone you know, but you probably shouldn't do this for someone you know. If you are someone that, like, is religious and is struggling with it and is looking for people that you can talk to, you know, about it in a safe space, like, Kitty and I are both people that would love to talk. I, I would love to talk to someone. I don't want to volunteer you because you just gave me a look. Why are you looking weird? Well, it's because we're, like, podcasters and everyone who listens to our podcast knows us. I know. I know. That's true. They don't know how to get at us. Um, it, no, you can get at us on our Twitter and our email. Yeah, email us. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. I'll okay. get behind that. Okay. I'll get behind that. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally get behind don't that. Don't you want to be a resource? Yeah, I also don't want to, like, assume that I have great answers. But, yeah, I'm a great listener. I'm a great no, listener. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, if you just need someone that's there, totally. that's a good point. Totally. I do not have answers. I just have experience. <laughs> but, yes. but I think sometimes totally. when you're in that place, it's hard to find someone who... Can understand all sides of it, you know. Um, yeah. Another thing that a couple episodes ago we had talked about having uh, listeners email us with their own secrets that we could read on the podcast. Even if uh, being a guest on the podcast is not your jam, that is totally cool. Maybe you don't live in Minneapolis, Twin Cities area to be a guest on our podcast. Feel free to email us your secrets. Um, and as we have guests who kind of do follow a similar trajectory of their secrets we would love to read your podcasts kind of have your experience weigh in on uh kind of what we're talking about so feel free to email us at topsecretgirlcast at gmail.com thanks and we'll join us next week or next episode Derek, and our music is by the incredibly talented Bob Bean, who Pepper and I would like to give a giant shout out for making the music production for our podcast super duper easy and customized to our every last girl casting desire. Lastly, thank you to all of the guests who have already been and will be courageous enough to be vulnerable with us on the show. If you or someone you know would be interested in having your secret read on the podcast, or being interviewed on the show in our Northeast Minneapolis studio, please email us at topsecretgirlcast at gmail.com. Wow, we are struggling. Shit. (laughs) Whatever. Bye, guys. Bye.